another episode of Obsessible. So this is episode four and on this episode we're going to talk about my most loved shows and movies. These are the shows and movies that I have watched over and over again. They comprise my top 10 and in some cases my top five favorite shows and favorite films of all time and they always seem to get me right. They always will make me feel better if I'm having a bad day. These are the shows and movies that I'm gravitating towards in order to lift my mood, you know? And in some cases, it's like I rewatch them annually. At a specific time of year, I'm like, oh, time to do my rewatch. And these, that's what we're going to be talking today, talking about today. So what are they? First and foremost, I broke this down in the same way that I do the what was up, what's up now, and what's up next segments for TV and film. So that's how we're going to do them. And so the first show that I chose for what was up is Game of Thrones. I told y'all, I told y'all in episode one that there was going to be lots of got talk on this show. And this is just the beginning. And part of the reason I wanted to even do this episode in the first place, because if these are the shows I still love, but they were not a I didn't have a podcast when I was watching these shows for the first time. And so now that I do have a podcast, uh, I'm going to talk about them. That's, that was the plan. That's the goal. And so that's what we're doing. So Game of Thrones is for what was up. For what's up now, we're going to be talking Bridgerton. Yes, dearest listeners, this podcaster is a fan. And for what's up next, we're talking Outlander. We are currently in a droughtlander, but uh, just because we're in a drought doesn't mean we can't talk about all the amazing things that uh, make the show what it is and um, why we love Claire and Jamie so much. So me, why I love Claire and Jamie so much. You guys may not have seen it yet, but I suggest that you do. For movies, we're talking Lord of the Rings, Jurassic Park, and The Matrix. So this episode kind of has a little bit of everything, drama, sci-fi, and fantasy, but no shortage of action. There's lots and lots of action. And I really feel like there's a little bit of something for everyone. And I think we're going to have a good old time. So strap in. Now, if this is your first time here, thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Nicole. But when you're listening to the Obsessible Podcast, we're besties. And my besties call me Nikki. So feel free to do that. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. Feel free, grab your snacks, grab yourself a drink, and feel free to talk back to the cast. I'll just be like, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right, I know it. I'll pretend like I can hear you. And you can just pretend that those are the things you hear me saying back to you. This is Obsessible, and welcome. Oh, isn't that the one where the guy becomes limitless? Oh, isn't that the one where the guy becomes limitless? So you know when you hear that. That means we are jumping into the what was up, what's up now, and what's up next segment. And as I already told you, we're going to start like this. 
opening sequence to Game of Thrones, it put a huge smile on your face, it was a trigger, you were like a Pavlov dogs, but also at the same time you were timing yourself. You're like, okay, I've got about two minutes before the episode will actually start. Let me go run to the bathroom. Let me go grab a drink. Let me go grab a snack. Let me go set myself up so I am ready for this thing when it gets popping because it is going to be just that popping. And I mean, the show just did not disappoint. It really didn't. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk about when it comes to Game of Thrones is one, how I got involved. So I was introduced to the show from, um, well, to the books by George R. R. Martin, A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, 2008 by an ex. And he knew that I was into fantasy and I was basically talking about the fact that I hadn't read any new epic fantasy series since The Lord of the Rings. Um, and uh, he was like, oh, you have to read this, uh, this series of books by George R.R. R. Martin. And I read what was out at the time and I just literally fell in love with the story. Fast forward three years later um, and it's coming to HBO as a television show and I was extra excited extra but I never thought that the show would eventually turn out to be the number one show in the world and I never thought that it was going to gain the level of respect and notoriety that it ended up gaining as a show um for viewers around the world so I didn't see any of that coming um but I am so so glad it did because it really introduced um to the world and to Hollywood the fact that fantasy, epic fantasy series had more than just a niche audience. And it's not just the audience that you're bringing in who are from the fandom of the books, but that you can create an audience from viewers who are just interested in the story. And if you tell great stories and you um, have amazing visual representation, then you'll be able to succeed and, and have something that people will watch and talk about for years and years and years to come. And that's what ended up happening with Game of Thrones. And it's also the reason why I love the show and what has kept me rewatching. They made a show that was grounded in character. They made a show that would had you interested in the human elements of the story, but it was so it was mixed so well with that all the fantastical elements, the mythological and the, and the magical elements um, that it would the, the marriage was seamless. You didn't if you're not into fantasy and you're more into drama and action, it gave you that. But then you had these moments with fantasy and magic that really took the story to another level and reminded you that you're in this world um that doesn't exist like none of these this, this world does not exist it's a whole new universe that was created and um for people who are not really a part of who are not really into that i think that uh the the heavy character and heavy human aspects of the story really grounded it and that's what really pulled pulled you in as a viewer um i also love the fact that hbo just pumped more and more money into the show season after season if you watch if you do a rewatch and you watch it from season one to season eight you see how how the production value 
goes up and up and up and up and up in each subsequent season and to the by the point that we get to season eight it is cinematic quality it is some of the most beautiful scenes and cinematography um, and production design come out of this show as the show progresses from season one to season eight and it is a beautiful thing to see so one of the things that we used to do, my friends and um, some of my family, is we used to gather to watch the show. Like, I would leave places. I would be like, I'd be out doing things and just be like, oh, no, I got to go. And like, I realized the time, I'd be like, oh, no, I got to go. I got to get home. Or I got to get to my cousin's house so we can watch games. Um, and we missed one weekend, I think, of watching. And I literally was like, nah, I got to get HBO because I can't do this. I cannot miss any live live rewatches of this, uh, live airings of the show. Like I like to watch live and tweet live. That is my thing. And so I could not have to like wait to watch it, like find it streaming somewhere and then watch it. Oh no, that was not for me, child. I was like, nah, I got to do this on my own. Um, but spending that time with my friends and my family watching the show together was just so much fun. Um, and was like, just became our thing. And even as we entered into the final season, we had a group chat with me and my a bunch of my cousins, and we just talked about the show each episode as as it happened. There's like voice notes of me crying after the long night, <laughs> and just because it was just such an amazing episode, I was just so overwhelmed, so emotional. Um, and I was emotional about the fact that it was the final season, but um, yeah, like it was just having that experience of watching with them was just so much fun. So I was I had been into the show and had been watching it but didn't realize how much of a global success it had become until this moment when I was watching the Steve Harvey show and one of the uh one of the members in the audience turned to Steve and said you know you're always giving people things and you're always asking what people need and how uh you can be a help to them but you know has anyone ever asked you what like what you need and how they can help you. Like, I would like to ask you that question. And he's like, so you ask me what I want. He's like, she's like, yeah, you know, what do you want? And he's like, I, I need them to go back and redo Joffrey's death. He's like, Joffrey didn't die a painful enough or horrific enough death for me. And that was when I knew I was like, Oh my God, Steve Harvey is talking about game of Thrones. In detail, he is watching this show. He knows what's going on. I was like, that's it. This show has gone global. It is a, it is a full out, blown out success. Everyone is watching this thing. Everyone. It is not just for people like me who are into the genre um, and would read the books if even if nobody else knew about them um, or would watch the show even if nobody knew about it. it. It had transcended that. And it was very exciting for me to see it because I was just like, wow, this is where we are now. This is absolutely amazing. So for this episode, I prepared, I did research because I hadn't watched, um, I hadn't done a Game of Thrones rewatch in a long time. And um, right before season eight aired, I had tweeted a list of episodes um, that I felt were like the best episodes of the series. And so in order to prepare for this episode of Obsessible, I rewatched those, those specific shows. Um, and so what were they? I rewatched Hard Home, the Door, The Battle of the Bastards, Blood of My Blood, The Reigns of Castamere, The Lion and the Rose, No One, Stormborn, The Winds of Winter, The Mountain and the Viper, Beyond the Wall, and Dark Wings, Dark Word, Dark Wings, Dark Words. And so, um, you know, which were some of the, literally some of the best television ever made across those episodes. 
absolutely phenomenal television. Like stand up and cheer Emmy award, Emmy award winning worthy episodes. Like just, I, I could go on and on, but like what I didn't realize until I was preparing for this episode of Obsessible was that much of all actually, except for the last uh, episode, Dark Wings, Dark Words, um, were from season three to season seven. Um, season eight hadn't aired yet, so I couldn't have included season eight episodes. Um, but I realized after that I didn't really include anything from season one and season two. Season one and season two definitely laid groundwork and many, many important moments happen in in season one and season two that really pushed the story forward. And we wouldn't have really had anything um, had those things not happened in season one and season two. But I found for myself that the things that the real greatness, like, like the things that solidified the show and made it iconic took place between season three and season eight. And those were the episodes that I focused on when I made that list. And I, I stand by the list. I, 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 I wouldn't go back. Um, maybe there are one or two episodes I would include from season one and season two, but for the most part, I stand by that list and preparing for this episode and rewatching those episodes, um, really, really solidified uh, the brilliance of the writing for those um, in my mind. So who are my favorite characters? Arya Stark, without a doubt. Arya is um, one of the best written characters in television history. Argue with your mammy, argue with the wall, fight with your peoples, don't fight with me. It is what it is. And like I would I, I would really need somebody to really explain to me why she's not before I would even consider like hearing any dissenting arguments on that particular opinion because that's how sick the writing of Arya Stark's character was. She her full circle development was so, a, a thing of beauty. It was something to behold um, and entirely beautiful. Her, my two favorite kills for her was um Walder Frey and his sons, she made him eat them. Ooh, boy, that was satisfying. Um, and how she took out the waif. Those two right there, like, just, I just want to stand up. I just wanted to stand up and cheer. Stand up and cheer. And then obviously what she does in, in season eight in episode three, when she takes out the Night King and the mo and how they set her up to do that, how they set her up to do that was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Did I, did I mention it was brilliant? Oh my God. Who saw her coming? Nobody saw her coming until she flew through the air and we all collectively lost our minds. All of us did. I jumped off the bed and was squatting in front of the television and jumped back on the bed and then jumped back off the bed. Like I lost my mind. Like viscerally could not sit still when watching that happen because I couldn't believe it was real. Like couldn't believe it. Like did not, oh man, man, I'm right there. I'm like back there in the moment watching it happen all over again. So that's my Arya. Second favorite character, Jon Stark. Uh, Jon Snow, Jon Stark. Well, Jon Stark, Aegon Targaryen, whatever the heck you want to call him. But Jon, Jon Snow. He is uh, probably my all-time favorite. Um, and I, I, I just have a thing for people who understand the assignment. And... He is one of those that he's one of those characters who is just committed to doing the right thing, no matter how it feels, no matter how hard it is. And he stays the course on that path. And he 
he doesn't John doesn't really make a lot of mistakes um we see people's reaction to the things he does they seemingly believe that he's making mistakes but in fact John really isn't he really isn't the character who makes a lot of mistakes he underestimates people for sure which could be considered a mistake but in the end no I don't really see see I really don't see him that way but I will say this while I was doing the rewatch and when I got to Beyond the Wall which is episode six in season seven there's a conversation that Beric Dondarrion's character and love Beric um and John have as they're trudging through the snow heading towards um the mountain where they discover the army of the dead so they can bring back proof uh, that these, uh, the, that the, that the army exists, right? And Beric is basically talking, they're basically talking about the Lord of Light and Beric's belief and the fact that he's been brought back. And he says, you know, you're much like me. You're here to defend. You're here to support. You're here to take care of. And there's not going to be a lot of joy for you in this life. And, and the truth is there hasn't been a lot of joy. He's had moments, but it's always fleeting. It never lasts because his duty always surpasses whatever joy he can take. He takes his moments when he can, but overall and for the most part, there is no joy to be had in John's life. And that is the truth. Um, and he says that to him. And then John has this moment where he kind of accepts that truth to be, accepts what Beric is saying to him to be true. And he says this, I am the shield that guards the realms of men. And here's the thing, that one statement basically sums up John to a T. This is who he is. He is not just the person who will guard the realms of men against, um, against evil, like, like mythological creatures like the Night King, but also he's the, he's the shield who will guard the realms of men against other men. And this is where um, his ability to do the, his ability and his need to do the hard thing that's the right thing all the time really shines through and that we should have known from that moment from season seven that no matter what what happened next John was going to do the right thing and it was going to be the hard thing because he's constantly thinking about everybody else and that's what makes him my favorite that right there is what makes him my favorite. Then there's Mr. I drink and I know things, Tyrion Lannister. He, Tyrion became my favorite, one of my favorites really quickly. And um, his, his, his choices uh, between, you know, hiring um, a sellsword to have his back um, to killing Shay, to killing his father, to leaving, uh, to being smuggled out and saved and, and heading east and then choosing to find um, Daenerys and how all of, well, he didn't choose to find Daenerys. He was heading that way, but then he got kidnapped. So, you know, it is what it is. But his ability to just think his way through things and talk his way out <laughs> is actually really um, what endears me to him. And then honestly, at the heart of him, he's a kind person who's been dealt a cruel hand. And even though he's kind and a, a person who's kind has been dealt a cruel hand, he doesn't become cruel himself. And he's within a family that would allow him to do and be everything that people think that he is, but he doesn't. 
and I appreciate that about him a lot. Um, then there's Varys the spider. Um, I loved that he um, was always for the people, but I didn't like how he played Daenerys in the end. He made a vow that he would not conspire behind her back, but then he ended up doing that exact thing. And I didn't really like that at all. Um, I feel like he should have talked to her about what her how she was feeling in that moment um, and even maybe presented it a different way to, to Tyrion so that Tyrion didn't feel like he had to betray him and, and, and then end up having and invariably having him killed. Um, Missandei and Grey Worm, their love for each other, um, as well as, and it, it, and it being such a slow burn towards loving each other. Um, I really appreciated that. Um, their complicated and tragic pasts and their past traumas really didn't allow room for them to open up in that way to anyone other than the people who they were serving, if they were even able to do that. But, um, I love that they found something for each other, which I do not believe is a part of the books. I don't remember that being a part of the books um, at all. But yeah, um, it's been a long time since I read the books. I haven't done a reread. Um, and who else? The wolves and the dragons. And then Sam. I love Mia Sam. Like Sam was so necessary. Sam was such a survivor. And a lot of us didn't think that Sam was going to survive, that Sam was going to survive, but uh, he did. And um, I'm so happy for it because without Sam, so many things would not have happened and so many things would not have been figured out. We wouldn't have, Jorah would not have been saved. Um, we wouldn't have uh, had confirmation that um, John was really Liana, uh, Liana's um, son and, um, and really a Targaryen as well. Like we just would not have known these things. We wouldn't have had these things confirmed. So um, yeah, big shout out to Sam and, you know, the bravest and simplest of them all, but still a survivor. He made it. Characters I hated. Joffrey, hated, 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 was totally okay that he choked to, choked to death. Didn't care. Didn't need to be anything more than that. I was cool with that. Ramsey Bolton, I really despised him, despised him, but I was so fast that he, and then like, it was like they... Like, I hated him. Like, it ratcheted up to a crescendo. And then when he shot one one in the eye, I was like, I just needed him to, like, be decimated. At that point in time, I wanted someone to blink and have him explode into a thousand pieces because that's what I needed to happen to him. Like, I just freaking could not stand him at all. And being killed by his hungry dogs, who he thought he were so loyal to him. No, no. You made them bloodthirsty. And look at you now, fool, dripping with blood. What you think they're going to do? Not eat you? Child, listen, satisfaction. I was satisfied with the way he died. Oh, that lets you know that the actors who played Ramsey and Joffrey were excellent because, baby, I never wanted to see people die more. And then there was Euron. I disliked Euron. Didn't really hate him. Um, Just disliked him. Like, I just found him annoying. Cersei, I did not hate. Cersei made sense to me. There was three things guiding Cersei. A prophecy that she was trying to avoid coming through. The love for her brother and power. Uh, that is a, that is a well-written villain. Like, she's so well-written. Sometimes I don't need a villain to have a redeemable, redeemable quality. Sometimes I do. When it came to Cersei, she had redeemable qualities because she loved her kids. And you cannot argue with someone who loves their kids and was willing to do anything to protect them. Like, you can't argue with that. Um, you, She did horrible things. Like, I think the, the Sept of Baylor was probably the worst one. Like, 
there is nobody could have got me in front of Cersei after that. Like the fact that when in season in season seven, when uh, Daenerys has fully already has landed in Westeros, she has her armies and she people have gathered in King's Landing to listen to what Cersei has to say after she's been crowned crown queen. No, ma'am. Sorry. You killed the court, the entire court. So the people who gathered were what remained of the court. You killed almost damn near everybody in the... Like, no. I don't have nothing... After that, I don't got nothing to hear you say. Like, I don't want... I have nothing for you. I don't want to hear your voice. I got nothing. I would just disappear off the map. Like, just gone. Out. Like, no. I'd actually... I would have found my way to, to Daenerys so fast. Because, child, you blew up. And then just... Man, it's like destroy a monument like that and take out all those people, all those innocent people. Mm. Disgusting. Ruthless, man. Absolutely ruthless. And it's almost like in her trying to not have the prophecies come true, she uh, everything she did forced the prophecies to come true. So it's like she there wasn't anything she really could have done. Um yeah, there really wasn't anything more that she really could have done there, but um, I didn't really hate Cersei. I totally understood her. Um, the characters that I felt like t- were amazing in their turnarounds, Jamie. But again, Jamie, we should have seen, We like everybody should have known and nobody should have been surprised. I don't think I was surprised at how Jamie went out because again, in my rewatch, I'm re- I was reminded there's a scene with Edmure Tully and Jamie and Jamie is talking to Edmure and telling him that everything that he does is about her. She's his North Star. She's his guiding light. So nothing that he does, um, for the most part, is without thought to Cersei. He was never going to allow anything to happen happen to her, ever. So we should never have been a surprise um, the, as the viewers, as the audience, as to how that played out. And then the Hound. I love how he turned it around. I loved how he he had a grudging respect for Arya and, you know, became her uh, her protector um, as he had protected her for so many months on the road from from King's Landing. I mean you like he just he was still mean and still still crass and vulgar and all of those things that didn't really change but um the decision to and still afraid of fire um the decision to you know fight for the good guys and 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 be a part of what was needed to happen um north of the wall when they went looking um as he was summoned by the lord of light was a really great part of his of his character story arc and his his character development. So really, really, really enjoyed watching how he changed and transformed. Um, so yeah, that's the Hound. Heartbreaking moments. Obviously, the Reigns of Castamere and the event that basically took up that entire episode, which was the Red Wedding. Um, just devastating and so terrible and really, really made everything that happened to the phrase after that completely justified. Shout out to Arya um, <laughs> for what she did. Because, boy, that was satisfying. Um, then there's the death of Beric Dondarrion um, and how he just basically foreshadowed the fact that he was living for one purpose and that the Lord of Light really did save him to, so that he could save Arya so that Arya could do what she ended up doing. Amazing. Um, the death of Ned Stark. Nobody thought that that was going to happen, uh, especially for the people who had not read the books. But yeah, everyone's like, nah, you know, he'll be safe. He'll be, oh my God, his head is gone. <laughs> he 
Yeah, it's like one of those. Like, holy crap, it really killed him. And I think that's when people knew that this was not going to be your average run of the fit, run of the mill show. Because people were like, you just killed off the main character. Like, how are you going kill to kill off the main character? Um, that really did set the tone for the rest of the series. Um, the death of Thoris of Mir. He really fought. Like, he was a real G. Um, the fact that he got taken out by a dead polar bear was like, what? But yeah, that was that was a hard one to watch. Um, Sir Barris didn't sell me. I mean, he went out like a G fighting, um, completely ambushed, but, you know, he had a warrior's death. Oberyn, Oberyn should have never died that way, okay? He should have never, ever died that way. He should have stopped playing with the mountain. He should have killed him, cut off his head, cut off his hands, done what he had to do, and then walked away from him. I was disappointed when Oberyn died. I'm pissed. Um, Call Drogo, you know, I, again, she should never have trusted that witch. Um, but you know, what would have happened if Call had lived? How different would have the, would the story have been? Would Daenerys have fully, uh, like what would have happened to Daenerys? That would have been an, that's an interesting, uh, question to ponder. I wonder how, how different she would have been. Hodor, um, and how he passed away in the door. That episode is one of my all time favorite episodes. Some br absolutely amazing writing, pulling together things that we didn't even think to consider needed to be pulled together. Um, full circle moment and just amazing. Um, the death of Jorah. He, Jorah died doing exactly what he would have wanted to be doing. Um, fighting for his queen, a queen that he fought for consistently and constantly, no matter how he had betrayed her in the beginning. Um, but you know, his loyalty was always to her and he went out exactly the way he would have wanted to go out. And then obviously Viserion, Rhaegal and Summer. And then Rickon. Rickon was so sad because I was just like, John, John played right into Ramsay's hands and, um, and there was no way that he was going to let him live. And Sansa was right. And then he did the thing that, again, Sansa was right. Um, annoying to me that she was right in those moments, but it is what it is. Uh, she was just annoying to me the entire time. I don't know. Yeah, probably the entire time. Um, and then there was season eight. Like, a lot of people had issues, but I rewatched it recently and I don't have any. Like, I just feel like now that I've done like all these different episode rewatches and then did a full season eight rewatch, I don't feel like there was anything wrong with season eight. I think it happened the way it happened and which was the way it needed to happen. Now, here are the things that I feel like they lost out on. There was lost opportunities. So the prophecy of Maggie the Frog essentially was all her children would die and that she would be killed by her younger brother. Um, Why didn't you guys... Like, why did Tyrion not kill her? Why did Jamie not kill her? Why did Arya not wearing wearing Jamie's face kill her? Like, which would have meant that Jamie would have had to die. But I would have been okay with that if that was the case. Like, they needed to have done that. Like, I really they they did everything and then they just let the way Cersei died, just kind of like fall by the wayside. Nah, if you're gonna use the prophecy, um, as a guiding post, a guidepost for Cersei's character, then use the entire prophecy, and then. The prince and princess who was promised, John and Daenerys. Daenerys ends up dead. Um, John, 
north of the wall. But again, I guess if that prophecy was strictly about the, the Night King, then I'm just kind of talking this through right now as I'm recording. <laughs> but if, again, if the prophecy was about defeating the Night King, then I guess both of them did their jobs and it really was not about breaking the wheel or who would sit on the, yeah, yeah, true, true. No, I think they, they covered it, right? They covered it. Okay. So maybe not a lost opportunity um, in terms of the prince and princess who was promised, but definitely a lost opportunity for the prophecy over Cersei from Maggot Frog. And that is Game of Thrones. If you want to watch it, and because you have not watched it, it's uh, still globally everywhere on HBO, HBO Max in the States, and uh, wherever HBO is. You can still watch the entire series. It is currently still available. So for what's up now, we're talking Bridgerton. I mean, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> I'm such a goof that just hearing the opening of that show makes me smile. <laughs> it just makes me smile every time I hear every time I hear those strings start to play. I, I'm grinning. <laughs> Even talking about it, I'm full have a full on grin on my face. Um. Oh my god, I love this show. <laughs> it's it's irrational. <laughs> How much I love this show. Oh my god, I love it. I love 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 it. I love it. All right. Bridgerton. So I knew that this was coming before it came. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know that it was a book adaptation. I didn't know anything. I just knew that it was a Shondaland production and we stand Shondaland over here. So I was like, all right, Shonda Rhimes is doing a period piece for Netflix. I'm going to get into this. Um, the last time she did something, uh, a period piece, it was for ABC and it, it was, it ended up being canceled. I watched it, but I it just, it didn't. One of the things that they always say about writing is don't confuse the audience. And so I was confused in that, how it was casted. That particular show that she had done for ABC was also colorblind casting. But in terms of how they set up the families, it didn't make sense. Um, now, it, that has been done before in a way that was like, you know, completely colorblind casting. Um, and it, you you have completely different different races playing mother and father um, and you know, daughter and son. Um, and the audience didn't mind, which was Brandy's and Whitney Houston's Cinderella. But I'm wondering if that's because it was a movie and in TV, it typically you're, you're sitting with these characters longer. So I think that, you know, what you're watching does need to make sense, more sense to you. Um, and Bridgerton and it's color by casting or color conscience, color conscious casting was done right. It was done exceptionally well, so if you don't know, um, Bridgerton is based on a series of eight novels by Julia Quinn. These are um, pure play romance novels, and uh, there is one book for each child. There are eight Bridgerton siblings. And so the the Bridgerton family is the main focus of the books. Now, in season one, the focus is on 
the love that Daphne is looking for and um, her unwitting or un unwilling uh, love interest. And that is Simon, the Duke of Hastings. Um, Simon Bassett, the Duke of Hastings. Now, here's the thing. The books are good. I, I ended up reading the books. The show is actually better than the book um, because it improves upon the book. So you, the book is really just focused. The books are all just focused mainly on the romance. So it's like the lead up to when the people, the characters meet. And then it's all you're doing from that point forward is reading on about how they end up getting together. And then, and the, the things that are in their lives and how those things can get affected by this romance or non-romance. Um, but so that's where the show improves upon the book where there is now focus on other characters and you're interested in more than just the two who are in a do, uh, do they don't, don't they kind of situation. Um, now what I loved about them, about the show and what kept me rewatching is just the love story. Like I just, I just love the love story. The love story is what pulls me in every time. Um, the character arcs for the first season are what pull me in. The, the how beautiful the show is is what pulls me in. The, so the production design, the cinematography, costume, all of that is what pulls me in. Um, the characterizations, the acting, the script. I love banter. There's such good banter in the show. Love it. Um, and it's sexy. It's 110% sexy. So yes, it's romantic, but it's very, very sexy. And I didn't see that. I wasn't expecting that. Um, but there is something that happens within the opening, opening scenes with um, Anthony and um, his love interest, which is an opera singer, who also happens to be the actor, that particular actor who Anthony um, is in love with. I believe her name is um, Sienna. And uh, that actor who plays Sienna is also the actor who Arya uses. Like, it's her face that Arya uses to kill the Frey family. <laughs> so it's the same actor. I was like, oh my God. In my rewatch, that's when I discovered that. So I was like, oh my God, it's the same girl. Um, quite funny. But that happens a lot with shows like this. A lot to overlap um, with actors showing up in... She's also in a show called uh, Poldark. So, um, yeah, in period pieces like this, you'll see them, um, see actors show up all the time, repeatedly. So like Tobias Menzies, who plays Edmure Tully, but also plays a character I absolutely hate in the next show that I'm going to talk about. So I'll get to that. But, um, Tobias is in a bunch of different shows that are, 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 um, that are in, that are period pieces, um. And yeah, he's in a, even another show I watched called Rome. So he's in that as well. So yeah, you'll see character actors show up repeatedly. Um, but yeah, that's what kind of kept me rewatching. Like I just absolutely loved it. And yeah, saying that it was sexy and that kind of becomes very apparent in the very beginning, like off the bat. And I was literally like, oh, okay, though, this is what this is going to be like. Okay, cool. Um, but what made me like... As I was watching, I had this moment of like, okay, I really like this. And that was when Violet, which is Lady Bridgerton, has it out with her son, Anthony. And she's basically saying to him, like, you're not doing what you need to do. 
Um, she's standing up for Daphne and she's calling him out on his BS. And I was like, okay, so this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, it's not going to be, uh, these women are not necessarily going to be soft and apologetic all, and demure all the time. They're going to say what they need to say. They're going to put their, um, um, make their points known and their feelings known. And I appreciated that. So, um, which in a lot of other period pieces, you'll find that the women are not as outgoing and they're not as talkative. Um, certain women in certain roles who are playing, um, certain types of characters, yes, but not necessarily everybody. So I appreciated the fact that Violet had that conversation with Anthony because it was necessary. It needed to be had because Anthony was jacking things up. And in the beginning, I didn't like Anthony. Actually, yeah, in the beginning, I just didn't like him at all um, because he was just getting in Daphne's way and he was so stubborn and arrogant and entitled and um, and only seeing things from his perspective. And I was just really didn't like that. Um, but when in that moment, I was like, oh, okay. I'm going to like this show. So when, as I continue to watch, um, I really thought that the color conscious casting was going to be just a fantastical representation of the time frame. But I absolutely fell even deeper in love with the show when Lady Danbury addressed the fact that they are Black in Regency London, mixing and mingling quite freely with the white aristocracy in episode four. And I was just like... Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. They talk about it. They talk about that queen, the fact that Queen Charlotte is black and what that has, what that has meant for, um, black high society in that era. Holy crap on a cracker. I, I couldn't, I literally was like, what? I wasn't expecting that at all. And, um, but I really, really appreciated it. And, you know, Simon was way too, uh, jaded and bitter, frankly, for him to accept that coming from Lady Danbury, but it was necessary. And I, for one, really appreciated it. Um, moments that I absolutely loved, Simon's speech to the queen, where he's basically declaring his love for Daphne. Daphne is not really sure if what he's saying is the truth, but she's so taken aback by the things that are coming out of his mouth. Hell, I was taken aback by the things that were coming out of his mouth. <laughs> um, that I just literally remember just being like, oh man, like my heart just growing like three different sizes and like just being completely like grinning like an idiot, like I'm doing right now. <laughs> and um, just like completely falling in love with Simon in that moment. Like I just loved him. And Reggae Jean Page just did such a great job in the role. And in that moment, I just loved it. Um, so let me talk about someone I did not like, Penelope. In the books, I love Penelope. In the show, I don't like Penelope. And that is because Penelope does something that I just, I'm like, I just found so hypocritical. She is aware of everything that's going on with Marina Thompson right from the very beginning. And it's not until Marina is, starts basically gunning for, um, starts gunning for Colin that she all of a sudden now takes an issue because we know that she has feelings for Colin. She makes a statement and says, oh, she would never um, risk her family's reputation um, by telling the truth as to what's going on with Marina and then turns around and does exactly that. I wanted to punch the TV so hard. Like, I just was like, this... And the man, and at this point, Colin has doesn't even know that Penelope exists. Like, that's his homie. That's his sister's best friend. That's the way he sees her. And he doesn't see her as, 
he sees Marina as a woman who says this to Penelope. Doesn't matter. Goes over Penelope's head anyway. And she basically destroys her own family um, as a result. Uh, and basically helps her father along into the grave. Like, I just, I was so annoyed by that. I was so, so deeply annoyed. Um, and that is really the clue that broke the the camel's back. And that's how I basically figured out um, who Lady Whistledown was. Because nobody else, I was like, okay, nobody else knows. Like, people know, but nobody else knows, knows. And like, who would have told Lady Whistledown? Knowing full well that it would have, the blowback that would happen on the Featheringtons as a result. So one of the things that's unique about the show is that they have incorporated storylines from other books. So, which is the Marina Thompson storyline. So Marina is actually, and then they changed some things, right? And we know that this happens when you adapt a book to film or back adapt a, a book to TV, that these types of things happen. But one of the things that, should, that is a fun fact is that Marina Thompson is actually a distant cousin of the Bridgertons, not the Featheringtons in the book. So bringing Marina in as a cousin of the Featheringtons was an interesting choice because that actually directly affects Eloise's storyline. So I'm just interested in knowing, I'm interested in seeing how that's going to play out in the coming seasons and how it will ultimately affect how they tell the, how they tell Eloise's story. So, um, that's going to be interesting as well. And in the books, Penelope loses weight. So that's going to be another interesting thing, how they play that out. Like, if are they going to make her do that or they're not? Like, I don't think they will. But yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I thought was interesting, how they pulled things from, from, from other books into season one. So just to let you guys know, I actually did read the books. I read all of them. I'm Well, seven of the eight. I'm on book eight right now. And I definitely pardon me, would recommend that you read the books. Um, if you really enjoyed the show, read the books. And they're quick reads, less than 400 pages, super fast. Like it takes me just a couple of days to get through them. It takes me longer to get through this because I'm not spending as much time reading, but, um, but, uh, definitely highly enjoyable. And my, by far my favorite book is the first one, The Duke and I, and the fifth one, which is When He Was Wicked, which is, which, um, tells Francesca's story, which is sexy. It's, ooh, ooh, it's spicy. It's so hot. It's so hot and tempting. It's just like so good. <laughs> Love it. Um, and yeah, the books are spicy. The books are spicy, 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 and, uh, super enjoyable. So, you know, pull up, grab yourself a, a little glass of wine, Watch the season of Bridgerton and then go ahead and read the books. Trust me, it's worth it. You won't be sorry. And I mean, I've said this before, but I've watched I've watched the first season of Bridgerton five times. Like, it just makes me happy. I, I, I told you that the opening puts a stupid grin on my face. Like, you, you have to understand. I, I love, love this show. Um, and like I said, every time I hear, I, every time I hear those strings start to play, I just grin like an idiot. Yeah, so that's the second show. That was what was up. And it is about, that was all about Bridgerton. On Netflix globally, uh, you can see it everywhere. Um, yeah. Sing me a song of a lass that is gone. Say, could that lass be I? Mary of soul, she sailed on a day. Over the sea to sky.
So for what's up next, I chose Outlander. Another theme song opening that just, you know, puts a stupid giddy smile on my face. And that is the opening from season one. The opening changes a little bit every single season. And there are currently five seasons available of the show, which is a Starz original program. So I was introduced to Outlander by a colleague who was just talking about it randomly. We were out one night um, after work and she was actually talking to somebody else about the show. And I was like, wait, what are you guys talking about? And then they started to explain it. And I was like, that sounds like something I would absolutely love to watch. They're like, you definitely have to watch it. It's so good. And um, I just randomly one day was like, okay, it's on Netflix. Let me decide. And this was when I started watching it when season three was airing. So season one and two were available on Netflix at the time. And so I just decided I was going to, you know, jump in and start watching it. And that was it. I was hooked. So the show starts with, um, by introducing us to the characters, Claire, um, who was played by Catriona Balf, Catriona Balf, and, um, and, uh, Oh my goodness. Um, what is his first name? Frank Randall. So Claire um, and Frank are basically on a second honeymoon in the highlands of Scotland. And um, Frank is kind of like a, you know, academic type. And he basically wants to visit all of these places um, and really get an understanding of the, the mythology and beliefs of of the of the Scottish people. And this is where we find problems because as they are in this discovery, they head up to a circle, um, an area, like a sacred area where pagans worship um, and do these rituals. And as they are watching this ritual late one or early, early one morning, actually, um, Claire realizes that she can hear something and that ends up being uh, the reason for her fall back into time. So she touches these uh, uh, um, these stones and she discovers that she can travel in time. And that is basically what happens. And that's how it's introduced. So that's how we're introduced to the story. So essentially, Claire is from the 1940s. She falls back into time by touching this stone wall or stone outcropping um, in the highlands of Scotland and uh, falls back 200 years and then is immediately accosted because there, Scotland is in the middle of a, a rebellion against the current king and the uh, the English army, the Redcoats, have taken up residence um, within Scottish borders and there is a much, much dissenter, dissension um, amongst the people and um and very little trust of the english so she's english and now she is in 1700s scotland and it's a terrible time so um so that's basically how i was introduced to show and that's how the show introduces us to its characters so um the main characters are jamie played by sam hewan jamie frazier um claire randall played played by catriona balf um there's murtaugh ian 
um, these are my favorite characters, like, absolutely. Um, Myrta, Ian, Jenny, who is Jamie's sister, played by Laura Donnelly. Laura Donnelly is also in a show airing on, a, on HBO right now called The Nevers. And, um, and then obviously, you know, our, our little French frog, <laughs> Fergus. Just absolutely love Fergus. So, now, for Jamie, I, I, I love Jamie because he's romantic. I love Jamie because he's like 100% an alpha male. I love Jamie because uh, he is unrelenting. He He's unrelenting. He's incredibly stubborn. Um, and he does what's necessary. And whether that puts him on the right side or the wrong side of the law, he will just do what's necessary. Um, and he is able, he's educated, he's worldly, and he's able to operate in all kinds of environments around all kinds of different people. Um, and he's really able to blend in. He's an amazing leader. Like, I just, I just, man, I love the character. I just love him. And I think the, the thing that I love about Jamie the most is the way he loves Claire. That's the thing that I love about him the most. That That's the thing that always comes to mind when I think about him is how much he loves Claire. Claire, she is smart. She is resource, resourceful. She is, uh, she's also educated. She's also worldly. Um, she plays in her future life. She plays a nurse who uh, has just come back from the war, the second world war and was on the front lines. Um, and which is like in and of itself a badass thing because who, who, look, huh? Uh, no, one, I don't want to be deployed. Two, I don't want to be deployed to the front lines. Like what? So the fact that that was what she she had chosen to do with her life, um, really focused on healing and medicine, you know, just to help people um, and put herself, herself in peril. She's incredibly brave. She's incredibly courageous and she's very bold. Um, a lot of the things I love about female characters when they're written that way. But one thing about Claire is she's stubborn. She's incredibly stubborn. And a lot of the trouble she finds herself in is because of this stubbornness. Um, but thank God for Jamie, because half the time, if he didn't pull her out of these situations, Claire would have done dead long time ago. Because, um, again, because she just feels like she can handle things the way that she chooses to handle them. But, you know, forgetting that she's in the 1700s. And things don't work the same way as they did in the 1970s. So 1940s, sorry. So it's just very kind of annoying um, at first, but, and actually she just kind of stays that way, but she does adapt and she does get smarter about the things that she does do and say. Um, but still, you know, her stubbornness and her, her, uh, her, yeah, her stubbornness just is carried throughout season after season after season. Something, Claire does something because she doesn't listen and puts herself in problems <laughs> always. Um, and then we have the, the lovable um, Murta who plays godfather to Jamie and is integral in Jamie's and Claire's success and survival throughout much of the series. He's the first person who's, who's told the truth about Claire's origins and is believed um, by Murta. Um, and considering the time frame. Um, they didn't, it wasn't something that was just told to him immediately. Um, hell, Jamie didn't even know immediately, but eventually Murtaugh is told and he accepts. Um, then we have young Ian who we don't meet until season three. Um, and he is Jenny and Malcolm's, um, Jenny and her husband, Ian Murray, not Malcolm, good grief. Ian Murray, um, so young Ian, 
is Ian and Jenny's son. And we we are introduced to him, like I said, in season three, and he quickly becomes a favorite. Bold, courageous, wants to be just like his uncle, and um, and you know, just continues to prove himself season after season into season four and into season five. Um, and we lose him for a minute, but we do get him back. So really a favorite character. Then there's Jenny, um, who somebody really said that recently because The Nevers is currently airing. And like I said, Laura Donnelly plays Jenny as well as um, Amalia True in The Nevers. That really the characters are very similar. It's the same time period as well. Um, and Jenny is headstrong and stubborn and, and loving and, um, you know, strong and supportive and a good friend and suspicious. And she's all of these things, but the character is just so well acted. You can't help but love Jenny. You really can't. Um, and I'm hoping that we're going to get more of her in, um, future seasons. Um, as we had extra that we ended up, we ended up getting uh, her in season uh, three, but not season four. Um, we got Ian, but we didn't get Jenny. So I'm hoping senior Ian senior. Um, but so I'm hoping we get Jenny again. I don't think that's going to happen, but it would be nice. And then finally, my little muffins, Fergus, who we meet in season two and who just becomes a part of the family adopted as a Frasier and raised basically from the moment that they meet him, um, that Jamie meets him first, uh, in France, in Paris, France, um, and, uh, then takes him under his wing and just cares for him and loves him throughout his life until adulthood. And, uh, yeah, I just absolutely love me some, some Fergus. So most hated characters. Now, baby, we meet this character in episode one and immediately I'm like, oh gosh, this character is played by Tobias Menzies. So Tobias has the role of, of, the job, I should say, of playing two characters, and that is Black Jack Randall and Frank Randall. Now, the character we like is Frank Randall. The character we hate is Black Jack Randall, um, Frank's ancestor. And I, but hate is, I mean, Black Jack Randall is a despicable character, despicable. And only one redeeming quality is that he loved his brother, but outside of that there is nothing good about that man nothing and he does terrible things especially to Jamie as a result he does them to Claire but I mean that I so much so that a lot of that horribleness that he does to Jamie I can't watch um I actually have never watched I've watched the series many times from start to finish and I I continually will skip through that episode because I just I can't the rage like <laughs> I just it makes me so mad I literally hate him I hate him and we we get him for way he's around for way too long I like I just needed him to die way sooner but he died um the way he died the way he went out I was I was quite happy with I was actually I was rather satisfied um <laughs> I was rather satisfied with it but yeah I hated him leery Leary. Oh, what a trollop. What an idiot. What a, like, what, what a delusional fool. Like, I just, oh my gosh. Like, basically we're introduced to Leary um, when Claire arrives and is basically taken under the wing of, um, of the, 
of the Mackenzie clan after um, basically being saved by them when she first arrives in that time in that time period. So that's when we meet Leary. We come to find out that Leary has this crush on Jamie. They kind of smooch a little bit. But then due to circumstances that nobody could have seen coming, Jamie ends up marrying Claire to save Claire's life. Leary finds out about this and somehow believes that Jamie was hers and that Claire stole him. And that perpetuates everything that she does going forward. And it is terrible. And I hate her. I like literally cannot stand her. She's just, she's all the things that I don't like about female characters and women in real life, like just delusional, like completely, like you made up your relationship. It didn't exist. The man never wanted you. He never made you any promises. So all of a sudden I'm your enemy. When I'm falling into a situation I didn't even want for myself. Like, come on, like get a grip. Oh, God. oh Lord. And then to do what she, and she basically set Claire up to die. Like to die? Murder a person over this? What? Seriously? Like, nah. I just like written off. No redeemable qualities except for her kids. Her kids are the best part of her. And that's, those are facts, period. Um, Another villain that was introduced, Stephen Bonnet. Never really disliked Stephen. Um, I just found him annoying. He... Now, another delusional character as well, wanting more for himself than he really, really was. Like, he's just terrible. Um, and he did despicable things. But other than that, I could care less. The Browns, same thing. Like, even though towards the end um, of season five, at the end of season five, everything that happened with the Browns was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking and horrible. But Jamie, like a boss, handled it like he always does, like a boss. Marcely, who actually ends up, just to let you know, Marcely is um, Leary's daughter who ends up marrying Fergus. Marcely, we don't like at first either, but Marcely grows and becomes and involves and sees things for what they actually are, not for what her foolish mama told her they were. And um, and we and 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 just basically like does what she has to do uh, with regards to the Browns, and I am not mad at it. Um, she really, you know, G's up on, on, on them and I, I for one appreciate it. Um, okay. So some of my favorite moments, I only have a favorite, like my, this is my favorite Jamie moment. I couldn't think of a favorite Claire moment. So I'm just going to stick to Jamie. So my favorite Jamie moment is after basically, he basically saves Claire because they are, oh, she has run off and she gets kidnapped by the Redcoats. And he and his little band of, of rebels um, who are who follow the uh, Mackenzie clan mount a rescue for Claire. And he basically, and then after he rescues her um, and he has to do this without killing anybody, he, they have this heated argument because he basically is like, are you going to apologize? Like, I told you what to do and you didn't listen. And now um, we put the whole clan at risk trying to come to your aid. So they have this huge argument. And then there's a moment where he just breaks down. He just breaks in the argument. And he's just like basically telling Claire how, you know, he, he went there with nothing but his two hands and an empty gun. And... Um, and is telling her how he's just basically like, she's ripping him apart. And I just literally, I, I melted, I swooned, I fell out. I just was like, oh my God, 
What a man. <laughs> Jamie will ruin you. <laughs> and I have some tweets to prove it. <laughs> it was just like, wow, what a man. And then there's another moment where he saves Claire, again, because of her stubbornness, because he tells her to stay below deck, but they're on a ship and the ship lands in it, finds itself in a hurricane. And of course, Claire gets thrown overboard and this man dives into the ocean and saves her life. At that point, that was the point where I was just like, listen, if I can't find somebody who loves me the way Jamie loves Claire, I don't want it. Throw the whole man away. Like what? Holy crap on a cracker. He is amazing. Like, oh, just like I said, it's my favorite thing. If everything is the way that he loves her. Um, okay, favorite episodes. Favorite episode. The Wedding. Episode 7, Season 1. And Episode 6 from Season 3, A Malcolm. Favorite. They, they're both reunion episodes. Um, the other thing I really love about the show is the show is really sexy, too. I mean, it's very sexy. And that is something that you find out, like, really right at the very beginning. Like, how sexy it really is. Um, but it just, it gets, it just gets sexier um as the show goes on um but yeah for sure um both the wedding and a malcolm are two of the sexiest episodes of the entire series um but nonetheless just 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 those are, i could just re i i actually have i've gone to those episodes alone and just rewatched those episodes over and over again i just love them um so as I have like you know when I was discovering the show and I was watching I was thinking to myself like what would I do like the time that Claire travels back to is so lawless and so violent and they just don't respect women and it's like so chaotic but then and but with with that comes like this great love then there's her time where she has love with Frank it's not the same as the love she has with Jamie but it's still real what would I do where there's safety, you know, more safety, you know, women are not necessarily where they are now, but I mean, what would you do? I don't know. It's such a, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. I don't know. I don't know. Danger and great love or safety and good love. I mean, that's the question. That's the choice really. But yeah, so that was Outlander and that is what was up. What's up now and what's up next for TV for my favorite, favorite, favorite shows so for what's what was up what's up now and what's up next for movies this segment is not going to be as long as a tv segment um but i oh man these are like like i said part of my top 10 all-time film series like ever um i don't know if anything's going to come in and really replace that these movies in that I don't see it happening but I mean there's there's so much right and content keeps coming so who knows but um I'm starting off for what was up with Lord of the Rings like Lord of the Rings um I was already into fantasy I was already reading fantasy but Lord of the Rings really kind of took it to the next level for me simple because the world was so massive that Tolkien built and I was so just in love with the hero story, um, which is this, it's a typical bar none hero story. But the, also the other thing that I really loved about Tolkien was that he was a believer and he didn't even necessarily think that his book, he was going to finish his book, but it was through the encouragement of the Inklings, which is his circle of writers that also included C.S. Lewis, who you'll know as the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia um, series, their books. 
encouraged him to finish it. And I, and I know so many other people in the world are so happy that he did because the story is absolutely phenomenal. Um, when I was introduced to Lord of the Rings, it was during the production of the actual films. They were in production in New Zealand at the time. I was fully grown and never had to read them in school. So I wasn't even aware that they existed. And so I had a colleague who was telling me that we were talking about movies and the love of movies and the, the, the types of things that I like to see. And she was telling me, um, oh my God, then you have to see the production stills from the Lord of the Rings. And I was like, I don't know what even know what that is. And she was like, what, you know, Tolkien? I was like, no. She's like, the Hobbit? I'm like, no. She's like, you never had to read those in school? I'm like, no. This girl's spazzing. Like she had no, she literally was like, what? And it's so funny because now that is the way I react when people tell me that they've never seen the books, uh, never seen the movies. Read the books? Nah. But seen the movies? What? Um. And so after she showed me the pictures, I was like, I'm in. And I went back to school and ended up borrowing the books from the library um, and carried them everywhere. I was, I read them constantly until I finished them. And I'm talking, these are massive, massive books. The story is huge, way bigger than what we get in the film. But um, nonetheless, they, they did a wonderful job adapting the books from, um, adapting the books to film. Always, always will respect Peter Jackson and his work for what he did. And especially the way he filmed the series because he filmed them all at the same time, which was something that typically for trilogies was not being done and had not been done up until that point. So um, one of the interesting things or one of my favorite moments from these movies is when I first watched, when I watched the first film, it was out in theaters and I went to go see it. It was date night. And um, there's a moment um, in the first film where we lose Gandalf. And it, it's a part of Gandalf's transition from Gandalf the White, um, from Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White. And he's fighting the Balrog. And um, I know what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm there and I'm prepping myself emotionally and he falls and I ball. I just, I just weep, weep. <laughs> I just, just cry. <laughs> just cry. Cause I'm just like, Oh my God. Um, but it was so well done. Like just, Oh man, that last moment right before he lets go. Oh, even to this day, like I've seen it so many times. I read the books. I saw it so many times, but I still cry. Like it just, it, it gets me every single time. Um, and I just, I love it. I'm, I'm never going to get enough of it. Um, and then I thought it was so interesting when I heard, uh, um, when I heard Gollum's voice for the first time, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly how he sounded in my head. Like I just was like, whoa. Um, and Andy Serkis as, as Gollum, Smeagol, brilliant. Brilliant. Andy Serkis is one of the best voice actors of our time. One of the best. Um, and watching BTS of how they created the film and how they um, created um, Gandalf and how he's in this suit and he's crawling all over the ground and he's doing, oh my God, just, just wow. Just wow. That's just wow. Wow. Amazing. Um, huge Andy Serkis fan. Um, so what, because the, the films came out at Christmas time, I literally was like, well, that's what we'll do every Christmas. So now it's literally a part of my Christmas tradition. My, mine and my sisters, we watch it. Um, we rewatch the Lord of the Rings every single Christmas. And um, I thought I was going to never get more from this world, but then we ended up getting the, the Hobbit, um, which I loved. And then now also the books are being adapted 
to TV. We're going to get five seasons for sure because Amazon pumped money into this bad boy. And um, yeah, so, you know, we now we have Lord of the Rings coming to TV, but it's not going to be in the third age where the 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 time frame of the books that um, have already been like the movie adaptation was, but it's going to be from like thousands of years in the past. So that's going to be interesting. Same world, same universe, but just uh, just a different time. So yeah, that's Lord of the Rings. Always, always makes me feel better. Always. And I watch it annually. So you can imagine the the films have been out for many, many years and I've rewatched them every single year since they've come out. So you can do the math. You know how many rewatches that is. And that's just when I'm not deciding to randomly rewatch it during the year, <laughs> not at Christmas. Um, okay, so then there is this, Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. Um, I read the book first. Clearly, this is a theme here. <laughs> I'd be reading these books. Um, and I was actually super surprised uh, when I read the book um, at how sciencey it was and how, like, like completely, you know, like um, dependent upon the, the the technology and the science of it all that um, was in it. And I, I was very surprised about that. But fun fact. Um, so Michael Crichton also wrote and directed Westworld, which was um, that movie. The original Westworld came out in 1973 and there was a follow up called Future World, but he didn't write or direct that one that came out in 1976. So if you're aware, Michael Crichton also wrote Jurassic Park. It was directed, Jurassic Park itself was directed by Steven Spielberg, but the Westworld film is what the hit, uh, um, the hit HBO show Westworld is based off of. So I thought that was really cool when I found that out and super randomly was like, uh, looking sur channel surfing one day. And then I saw Westworld and I was like, what? And I was like, I realized it was a movie and I was like, I did not even know. So I watched it and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Because I actually was also in the process of doing a Westworld rewatch, which I actually think was at the beginning of this whole pandemic, like last year. And I was like, oh, might as well watch this because I didn't finish it. So that's what I was doing. And in the, while that was all happening, I ended up watching the movie. So I thought that was really, really, really interesting. Um, but I remember sitting in the theater watching Jurassic Park and being completely blown away by the graphics. Like I was like, this is where we are now. Like watching, it, it was um, one of the first dinosaurs that we we see on the film, really long neck, whatever the heck that one thing's called, but it was walking in the camera, is following it walking almost at your eye level. So what you're seeing is basically the muscle moving beneath the skin, the skin, skin moving all the and I was just like what and it looks so real that I was like oh my god this is where we are this is where we are um and I was just so amazed by how far the technology had come for movie making um and then on top of it the story was excellent it was just it was such a fun time um it was it was scary but it was I love creature features by the way so this was just right up my alley. It gave me everything that I wanted. Um, it was nerdy. It was fantastical. Um, it was well acted. The characters were amazing. Um, the, the peril that the characters were in was amazing. It was just, it was just a really excellent, excellent film. Um, and was probably number one in my top 10 list for years, for years and years after that. But, um, yeah, but there's always something I think about when I think about Jurassic Park. 
if it existed, would you go? Like, would you go to the park? I know for damn sure I would not. <laughs> I would not be going to that park. I would watch videos. I'd be like, that is so freaking cool. But I'm going nowhere near that park. And one of the two worst things that they could ever did, if if I had to really think about this, is create dinosaurs that can fly and dinosaurs that can swim. There is a lot of water on this planet. And hi, the air. Like, no, we don't need, no, no swimming dinosaurs, no flying dinosaurs. If they can't get off the island, they can't get off the island. But a swimming dinosaur could and a flying dinosaur could. So how about no? How about no? We don't go anywhere near Jurassic Park. Um, I'm so excited for the extension of this universe. And they keep making more movies. And I was really, really happy when they brought, when I heard that they were making a Jurassic World. Um, and it was such a callback to the original films. It was so well done. It's probably... Um, outside of the first Jurassic World is, um, is my second favorite in the series. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what, what is going to happen now that the dinosaurs are out in the world. They're no longer on an island. Nobody is safe. You know, pee with your eyes open and not in the middle of the night because you never know what because swimming up for your, from your toilet. I'm just saying. <laughs> so for what's up next... Uh, we're going to talk about my final favorite, final series of film, like favorites, one of my all time favorite series is again, another one, um, the matrix. So this is a spec and there is no, um, there is no property that, uh, no source material for these films. Um, but the Wachowskis did take this script from another writer and that woman, the woman who originally wrote the script sued and won. And it was a disgusting amount of money that they, they had to settle, um, to had to settle. So basically they stole the story and made it famous. Did that. I didn't know that at the time. Um, I, the matrix came out and I had no interest in seeing it. I didn't even know what it was, what it was. And I don't even know how much promotion was put into it, but I just remember knowing about it, but having no interest in seeing it. Until I heard somebody in the calf talking about it and they were just going off like how sick the movie was and all of this stuff. And I was like, huh. So based on how, what she was saying, I was like, okay, I'm going to go see this. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. I immediately was obsessed and needed to know absolutely everything about everything. I was researching. I was reading articles. I was having conversation. I was talking about meaning. I was talking about, oh my gosh, like literally I wrote quotes from, like I could quote The Matrix. I could actually quote all of these, these films. Um, but like, seriously, like just became obsessed. Um, and this was, this became like a, a thing to watch. Like I needed to see every film, watched all of them in the theaters. I love the fact that Hugo Weaving was both in, was Smith in the matrix, but also was Elrond in the Lord of the Rings. So that was a tie in for me. Um, and I'm super excited about the fact that they're making a fourth film. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like. It's pretty hush hush and it's at the very beginning stages, but, um, the matrix and all three films were just like, I loved Carrie Ann Moss. I loved Lawrence Fishburne, loved, um, Keanu Reeves, loved, just loved. There's nothing I don't like about those movies. Literally nothing I don't like about it. And, you know, before streaming, um, and whenever it was on TV, I would rewatch every single time. This is another series that I, I can't, I'm in the multiple digits, like double digits at this point in terms of rewatches. And yeah, because like I said, if my mood is foul, 
the, the these are the movies and shows that are definitely going to be pull it, pull me out of my head and and get me into an immersive experience and really help me suspend my belief and shut out reality and uh, fantasize for a little bit but just absolutely amazing. Um, what I love about The Matrix is, again, the heart of the story, the human story, the hero journey, um, the love story um, between Neo and uh, Trinity, as well as the fact that it's a heavy mix, um, the action. I love the action in the films, like the heavy mix of Kung Fu and Karate um, with, you know, just good old fashioned gun battles. Like what did you just, oh my gosh. And then obviously the whole, the whole science fiction um, setting and theme behind it. Just absolutely epic, epic storytelling, epic world building. Um, and just absolutely fantastic. And the fact that this actually was also filmed in a new style um, by, you know, making sure that the that the uh, the movies were all filmed at the same time, and all of the different things that the that they went through, you know, losing, um, losing Aaliyah and having to replace her with Nona Gay, losing the actor who um, played the Oracle, um, and then having to uh, replace her and then explain the explanation. They did a great job of that. Like the movie production went through a bunch of stuff, but. Um, you know, the end result is, is movie magic and definitely goes down in history for me. So yeah, that's the matrix and that's the end of this segment. What was up, what's up now and what's up next for my favorite films and television shows. Yes. So you know what segment this is. It's what's happening in Hollywood. And I'm just going to update you on all the things that are going on with the series that I was just talking about, because there's more, right? There's more to love with the things that I already love. So I already talked about this. There is Lord of the Rings coming to TV. It's currently in production in New Zealand and we are promised five seasons. Um, and, um, we, I believe that we're going to get those seasons, uh, the first season next year in 2022. Um, then we have for Game of Thrones, um, we have in that universe, we knew that there were multiple shows, um, that were going to be with set within this universe that were coming. Um, then the first one is called the house of the dragon and we have got production stills people. Um, so recently they released uh, casts, cast the cast in costume um, to showcase what is happening in the production, and that is was definitely a sight to see. Um, I absolutely loved it, and it did amp up the excitement. We're going to be getting a lot of fantasy based epic adventures coming, and again, you know, we really have to attribute that to um, the success of Game of Thrones. So the fact that so many other networks are, are, are banking on these types of programs, um, says a lot. And I, for one, could not be happier. Um, then we have Bridgerton. So right coming off the heels of the success of the first season, um, the first heartbreak came when, well, the only heartbreak I could say, um, is when they announced that Reggae Jean Page was 
going to be departing the show. So he had actually only signed on for one season. I did a quick take about this before uh, I started, before the podcast officially aired. I knew that this was happening um, or I had heard that this is happening and talked about it in a really quick segment release that I did for the podcast to, to promote it. And um, yeah, he had only signed on for one season and so he will not be coming back in season two, but we will be getting Daphne um, played by Phoebe Divenavore. So bye-bye reggae we loved you and you will live on until we see you again which i really feel like we will um there have been season two cast announcements so season two is going to focus on anthony bridgerton and his looking for a viscountess and he finds her and her name is kate sharma and um it is absolutely one of the better love stories in the series and it's going to be interesting to see how kate and anthony get together um, as well as all of the other drama that's going to ensue because we know that we're going to get some new cast, uh, new characters as well. So that's going to be very interesting. They are currently shooting season two. It's currently in production and, um, is super fun and has already been renewed to season four. And then finally, um, in terms of Bridgerton, there's going to be a spinoff show that focuses on the lives of Violet Bridgerton, Queen Charlotte and Lady Danbury as their younger selves. And that's going to be written by Shonda Rhimes, also coming to Netflix. So look out for that. We'll probably get Bridgerton next year as well. So there's going to be a lot of great television coming out next year. Um, in terms of Outlander, production on season six has already started and it's currently being shot in Scotland and has already been renewed for season seven. Season six is going to be based off of the book, A Breath of Snow and Ashes, and they had already pulled in elements from season from that book into season five. For example, us getting Ian back and then the horrible attack on Claire at the end of season five by the Browns. Um, we're going to see increased storylines for Lizzie, who is Brianna's faithful companion, who followed her there from Scotland. Um, we're going to see more for Lizzie. Uh, we're going to see Claire really start to get over the things that happened to her at the end of season five, which was, you know, unimaginable. Um, we're also going to see Brianna starting to really emerge as the engineer that she is. And she's going to start to invent some more things. Um, and then, you know, uh, we're going to see that uh, the United States of America, prior to them being the United States of America, continue to march towards a revolutionary war. We're going to get new antagonists introduced in the Christie's, the, basically the head of the Christie family, who is a former inmate of Ardsmuir Jail, which is where Jamie was imprisoned before he was reunited with Claire and before they came to the U.S. Um, so there is going to be dissension on Fraser's, Fraser's Ridge, and that's what their, their whole aim is, um, to sow dissension. And then we have like I said, a fourth Matrix movie coming and then another Jurassic Park or Jurassic World film coming, kind of showing what happens now that the now that the animals are in the world. So that is what's happening in Hollywood for all of my favorite productions and shows. Up next. <laughs> You guessed it. It's putting me laughing. So, oh my gosh. Like, there are so many shows to, to watch and show me so many tweets to choose from. But I decided to focus on Outlander because I thought that these were absolutely hilarious. Um, when I was fired up when I was going through the hashtags. And also, relatable. <laughs> so, we have Lil Whistler who tweeted, Okay, at Sam Hewen. Although I am French, I wanted to please my wife. So, I watched... The five Outlander Star seasons, and then I bought a kilt. I began drinking 
whiskey for breakfast, and now there's at men in kilts. Do you really want me to swim naked in the North Atlantic now? So, so basically to explain that last half of that tweet, Sam Hewen and Graham McTavish, who both um, were on, uh, well, Sam stars in Outlander and Graham McTavish was Dougal McKenzie, who also starred in Outlander, um, not have a show called Men in Kilts. So that's what he's referring to it. But how many men have tried to please their wives by pretending to be or trying to be Jamie? Future husband, are you listening? Um, then we have Lily or Liam dot Lily at Elizabeth 2704 tweeted, I've been watching Outlander recently. You can blame my newfound high expectations on Jamie Fraser. I mean, same sis, same. Like, 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 I really probably, I also tweeted that if my husband, um, I need him to watch all five seasons, like every single season so that he understands exactly what he needs to do by me. Like, yeah, this is what I expect of you now. Jamie, I expect Jamie. And then this one, I laughed out loud at this. Sweet young coconut, Zinea Buberi tweeted, Now, how do I get on Outlander without having to play a slave? This is, this is so relatable because I always think about this because obviously, well, not obviously, but I'm a black girl. I'm a black woman and I'm into all of these things. And these shows don't necessarily typically, you know, reflect my ethnicity and my race. Um, but I love them nonetheless. And I'm always like, well, how could I be in this world without having to be a slave or a servant or something of that nature? But yeah, you know, these are the dilemmas. <laughs> these are the dilemmas when you're ethnic and into stuff like this, because trust me, I've thought about it. I know your, I know how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. In any case, that is it. We have come to the end of another episode of Obsessible. And thank you so much for sticking with me through it. You'll probably have to watch and listen to this in segments, but we did it. We made it. We are here. We are at the end. Thank you so much, besties. This is your girl, Nikki Nicole, and I'm out. See you on the next episode.